Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuff Your Ears. We are a podcast of Bismarck Community Church, and here we will give you conversations, discussions, as well as sermons and thoughts and ruminations that all are aimed at helping us to live, or at the very least, to understand what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that's often not quite what we wish it were. Glad you tuned in. I hope you enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Different regions of the world, people call them different things. They go by different names. I just needed you to know that. Also, by the way, I should pause and just tell you that there is a lot going on here today. It's good to see faces. I haven't seen in a while, by the way. Um, There is a lot happening. We are starting discipleship classes. There will be an adult class in the commons. I think Tony's going to help kind of facilitate that. Um, There's a a women's class in here. There's a men's class going to be down these stairs. And parents, we have a system where you can check your kids in. There's some iPads at that back wall, so you can check them in over in the foyer. Get a little sticker for their back, and then you can take them down that hallway and drop them off in the secure area. So that's the way we're doing things. There's discipleship class sheets here. I think Julie will probably have some more at the Connect Corner if you need one of these. This tells you where everything is, just so you know. I want everybody to know what's going on. So, yeah, Chaldeans, Babylonians. You can also use that text number for anything you need. So, uh, before... Before I talk about this, I do want to address something that is true, I think, for all of us. And I, it, you'll see it come out, actually, in this text, too. Do you find it difficult to trust God, to trust that God is good, to believe that He truly does have your best interests at heart, that He really is making all things new when life is really, really, really hard? Like when your kids are sick, or your marriage is failing, or some other significant relationship in your life just feels upside down, and you don't know what to do. Maybe you just got a call from the doctor on a scan, and, and you're terrified, and you wonder, is God good? Or, or, or your company's closing down and laying people off. I mean, there's, we all have them, right? These times that just feel like the deepest possible shadow that we could be walking through. And i got to be honest, there are times in those that I have to wonder, where are you, God? I mean, I don't think you can really be human if you've not asked that question. I, I think we have to have sometimes asked that question, what are you doing here? Are you really good? Do you mean what you say about making all things new? Like, are we really moving in that direction? Because it, it frankly feels like we're going that way sometimes, right? That's really what's going on here. That's what we see in this passage when Jeremiah buys a field. Sounds so silly. And that's what I mean when I say God is actively working in the mess in the daily lives of people. This is not some, like, mystical, spiritual, other reality. This is what Jeremiah is dealing with. He's in prison. He's in prison. And his cousin comes to him and asks him to buy a piece of land. Now, um, you got to understand a little bit about ancient Israelite real estate law, okay? 
Uh, <laughs> this is kind of random, but it, you, you, you've got to know the, this is why the real world, God works in the very real world. So in this era, in this day, and in this location, property could not pass out of families. The idea was God wanted the Israelite, the families that landed, that established themselves on the land, to stay there. There's something about rootedness to be talked about. Maybe go read a Wendell Berry book. But uh, there, there's something God wants his people to be, be planted right where they're at and to stay there, to grow, and to thrive. And so he says, you can't just, if you've got property, you can't just put it on MLS and, and get the highest bid. You've got to go to your family. They're the only people that are able to buy it. And, and there's a certain procedure for how you go about doing that. We see it in other places. It, it appears in other places in the Scripture. Uh, Boaz did the same thing. It was a similar situation that happened there. Right of The first right of, of purchase is, is kind of how that works. That's what happens. And his cousin comes to him and says, I got this vineyard. I want to sell it. You're my cousin. Buy my vineyard. So, you know, that's, that's legal. That's the way it works. But here's what we sometimes miss. I mean, it's all over this text, but you kind of got to grab the history. You got to dig in and really understand. I mean, the Babylonians were literally besieging Jerusalem. Do you know what that vineyard looked like at the time that Jeremiah bought it? It was a campground for Babylonians. They were trampling the vineyards. I mean, they were, they were on the land, <laughs> It's outside the city walls. The ba Babylonians have inhabited it. And by the way, Zedekiah is the last king of Israel, of Judah, until we have one called Jesus that comes later. He's the last king. This is the land that his cousin comes to him and buys. It's a little crooked, right? <laughs> like, like um, we've got some accounts in the room. Um, Hanamel. His cousin is turning a worthless asset, actually a worthless liability, is that right? It's a liability, into cash in his hand. That's what's happening right here. It's, it, I can't believe that he got away with it. And by the way, look, he says he's got witnesses to, to sign it. He's in the court of the guard. This is not the first time, I know, that Jeremiah endured it, but I cannot imagine the ridicule that he probably experienced signing this deed of purchase and handing over money for this worthless vineyard. This is what we call faith. This is an act of faith that frankly ought to show up in Hebrews 11. There's this chapter where the writer of Hebrews looks back on all these different people that did amazing acts of faith, of trusting in God in the darkest of times, and this should be in that list. I don't want to question the writer of Hebrews' wisdom, but it belongs in that list of the amazing acts of faith that people did. He bought this land. That's what's going on, is, is that he is trusting deeply in God's promises that houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. God is making all things new. He's promised to do that. And Jeremiah is taking what we call an act of faith in buying this property because he believes God's word. That's the reality. Now, what we see throughout what Tony read, and actually a little further, and I'll show you a few verses that get 
further into this, but there, what's really interesting, I think, in this passage is that there are two different times that the question, why, comes up, which is what we ask, right? Where are you, God? Why? Why is this happening to me? First time that that question is asked, Zedekiah asks it. He's at, he asked Jeremiah, why do you come and why are you saying? He's, he locked him up. Zedekiah is the one that put him in prison because he didn't like what he was talking about. And he comes and he says, why do you say that bad things are going to happen? That the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to take me. Why are you saying I'm going to have to go through this hard thing? Why is this hard thing happening? They're outside the gates. Zedekiah is asking the question, why? Now, God is going to go on later, and frankly, throughout Jeremiah, he answers this question. Sin, disobedience, rebellion, that's why. Your people, Zedekiah, for generations have been betraying the covenant. You've been unfaithful to me, to God. You've been disobedient. You've been sinful. That's why these things happen, and God will tell him as much. Um, in fact, verse 32 says, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, that they did to provoke me of anger, to provoke me to anger. That's why, Zedekiah. So, here's the thing. I need my water. Thank you. When we go through hard things, and we ask Why? The answer may be the same. Now, hear me clearly, because so many people get this so wrong. I am not saying if your kids get sick or you lost your job or you got a bad diagnosis that it's because of your sin. I'm not saying that. I'm absolutely, 100%, not saying that whatever, however your life goes depends upon your right or wrong behavior. That is not... What I'm saying, certainly sometimes that's true. You might lose your job because of your own sin. That, that happens, okay? But that's not the way, I'm not saying that's the way the world works. It, it can, but that's not always why. But here's the thing. Do you suppose that all that's happening to the city of Jerusalem is all Zedekiah's fault? I mean, he inherited a system. He's only been king for a decade and barely even a real king. He's a puppet king in more ways than one. And he, he's got to deal with what... Now, I'm not, I'm not saying Zedekiah is a great guy. He's not. He had his flaws. But he walked into something. He was born into something that was already terribly broken. He was shaped by something that was already broken. All of us, the same is true. So I'm not saying when your kids get sick, it's your fault. But I am saying that each and every one of us, in different ways, have, do, and continue to perpetuate the choice of our first parents. I'll do it my way. No thank you, God. I don't want to submit. I don't want to trust I want to choose power, right? Humans, our way is, is power and control 
and Jesus' way is the cross. And we do it every single day. And everywhere we go, we are plagued by systems of sin. We are everywhere. You go to the bank, tell her's angry at you, or, or maybe she's mean or whatever. Or maybe you're mean, right? More than likely, that's probably what it is, right? Get nasty and mean. Well, that, that carries on. Then you're mean to the teller. The teller has a bad day. They go home in a bad mood. Their wife gets mad at them for snapping a little quick. Right? I mean, these systems just perpetuate. Sin is in everything that humanity touches. Everything. And it causes bad things. And not only that, the world simply isn't what it's supposed to be. We were supposed to live forever. (laughs) In relationship with God, trusting. That's not the way it would... But God, by His grace, doesn't allow that anymore. That's the situation that we find ourselves in. So when we say, why is this happening? Why am I walking through this dark shadow? Why are things so hard? Why do I feel this pain? The answer is sin. Maybe not yours. Maybe yours. But certainly the sin that infects everything that touches us and everything that we touch. And it is at work. And that was true in ancient Israel. Even there were good people here who were repentant people who were about to be murdered by Babylonians. It's not their fault. But it was the fault of sin in the world. Sin that touches each and every one of us and sin that each and every one of us in different ways, at different times, touch other people with. This is our reality. So when we ask why... Where are you, God? Are you really going to make all things new? When, when we're in those seasons, we need to know why we are. And again, I'm not saying it's your fault. I am saying we live in a system that is terribly broken. And we are all of us culprits at different times in perpetuating that very system. That is a reality that we live in. That's one question. That's one time when the why is asked. But there's another. And it's not as explicit, but it could be. In verse 25, Jeremiah's talking about all this stuff. I'm buying this field. All of this stuff is going wrong. Siege mounds, the sword famine, pestilence. People are dying of diseases while the Babylonians are surrounding them. I mean, the whole, it's all a mess. And in verse 25 says, Yet you... Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses. Yet, it's another way of saying why. I mean, look at, that's what he's saying. Let's ask his question. Look at this. Why are you telling me to buy this field to get witnesses? Why? That's the other time we ask the question. One is, why am I walking through this hard stuff? And the answer is, sin. The other question is, why can't I trust as we move forward? Why can I hope for the future? And God's answer is grace. 
God is gracious. All of us have this problem. And yet, we can trust in the hard places because of God's grace. He says, I will... Verse 42 and following, just as I brought all this great disaster, I will also bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation. Another way to say that is everything that is sad is coming untrue. Everything that looks broken right now will be put back together. Fields shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, the place around Jerusalem, the cities of Judah, and all the cities. For I will restore their fortunes. He doesn't say they're going to figure this out. I will restore their fortunes. That is God's grace and God's goodness. And so why should you trust Jeremiah? Why should you buy this land and trust that it's going to be okay? Because God says, I'm gracious. God is gracious. Now, think about that for a minute. Because I know, I know, because I'm there often myself, when we are in the midst of that shadow, when things feel hard, and if you're there today, you hear me say, God is gracious and good, and you're like, yeah, sure, really? (laughs) Like, it doesn't feel that way, because you're asking the question, like, how can I trust that you're actually doing this? Because it doesn't feel like you're making all things new. I get that. But let me ask you for just a moment, and, and just in your story, okay, to zoom out for just a minute, and I'm willing to bet that you've been in seasons like this before. I think if you're old enough, you certainly have. And if you haven't, you'll get a little older and you will. We all go through these seasons where it feels like, where are you? How is there any good going to come from this? And yet those seasons, I think many of us will recognize, they passed. Those seasons moved past. The same is true for Jeremiah's people and Jeremiah's generation. This is not the first time that things looked bleak by any stretch of the imagination. 800, 900 years prior to this, they were slaves in Egypt, forced to make bricks without straw. (laughs) How hard that is. Probably don't. Ask somebody that makes bricks. I bet it's hard. And they cried out, where are you? And God showed up and led them to freedom. And then they were hungry and they were thirsty in the desert. Where are you? And God fed them and God gave them water. And then a few hundred years, by by the way, before this, the Assyrians came knocking and they took off a bunch of their neighbors and they wondered, where's God? And and then they had another king who came and kind of gave them some peace and stability for a while. Things got better, right? That's the story. That's the way it often works. It's worked in, in their lives. And it often, I think if we zoom out and if we're honest, we'll see that it works that way in our lives too. And so what we're going through right now is not the end, whatever that might be. You need to hear that. You need to know that. And if you're not going through that, if you don't feel like, no, I'm I'm good, fantastic. 
Listen to what I'm saying right now, because when you do go through it, you need to know that that is not the end of the story. God is gracious, and you can hold on to that in the dark places, and he's going to make things new again. But that's not all, because their story, right, their story doesn't merely end there. You know what? 70 years from now, from from where we are in this story, they're going to come back. And they're going to plant vineyards, and they're going to build houses, and they're going to rebuild the temple, and they're going to sign deeds, and they're going to sell property. And all these things that God promised are really going to happen. And yet they're still going to go through difficulties, and other nations are going to come. The Babylonians won't be a thing anymore, because that's the way world history works. But it'll be the Greeks and the Romans that will begin to cause problems. And then, then there will be an empty grave. Jesus will come. He'll be born. And all this stuff that we've been looking at, and all this stuff where he had just talked about this new covenant, where, where it's going to be about love, it's going to be about intimacy, it's going to be connection and community, and all these good things are going to happen. All that stuff that God promised, Jesus died on a cross and then walked out of a grave. Like, really walked out of a grave. And so now... Those people and us stand in the shadow of an empty grave. God is gracious. Now that can't be, when we're looking at our story and we're like, yes, I'm in a hard time. And we we look, right, and we think, oh, it'll get better. It will get better. But that cannot be our hope. Can't be. Because when Jesus walked out of a grave, Paul, the apostle, says that he was the firstborn of a new creation. A new creation has already begun. What we really hope for is to live the way we were made to live. To live in freedom. To live in hope. To live without constantly inflicting our sin on the people that we love. And maybe having theirs inflicted on us too. Or on the teller at the bank, or the waitress, or the... Everywhere we go, we just hurt people. And we want to escape that, don't we? That's our hope, and we know we can trust it. Because there is an empty grave in our rearview mirror. And that makes all the difference. Because we know that we can believe that God really is making all things new. Because he's already started doing it. Jeremiah's act of faith is an act of choosing to live his life and invest his money into a future that seemed completely hopeless, utterly bleak, unbelievable. And he did it. Because he believed, what did he believe? He believed that God was gracious. That's what he believed. He believed that God would enter into all the brokenness by his own will, by his own choice, by his own freedom. He would make that new. And he did. And he did it again, and he did it again, and he did it again. And and Jesus walked out of a grave, and he looks at you and me, and he says, are you willing to believe that God is gracious? that I am making all things new, that we're really headed that direction. And if you are, 
And this isn't really a sermon about giving, but it's true. Put your money where your mouth is. That's what Jeremiah is. That's what Jeremiah did. I mean, what a waste. Honestly. Think about the money. 17 shekels really wasn't a great deal, but he sure threw it away. But his ancestors had title to that land that was in that pot. He was investing into a future that he believed in because he believed that God was gracious. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it means to write a great big check. I don't know. I'm not, that's not me being the preacher asking for money. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means you're not writing 17 shekels on a check. I don't know. What do you have to do to invest in that future? What does that look like? What do you have to give up? Jeremiah gave up money. Maybe not what you and I are called to do. But I bet it's something you've got to give up. I bet there's something that you're looking at, something you're holding on to, something you believe in. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's that job. Maybe it's that relationship that needs to go. I, I don't know, but I bet you do. I'm betting that you can tell what God is calling me to do to invest in a real future, a future that really matters. See, if you're investing, his cousin was investing in the past, a dying world. He was looking in the rearview mirror. What about you and me? Are we willing to believe and trust that God is gracious? Are we willing to believe and trust that the empty grave actually means God is making all things new? And are we willing to take the risk to live our lives as if that's true? As I've said the last couple of weeks, I think that's the call that I think I need to hear and I think we all need to hear is we've got to stop living our lives as if Jesus' body is still in the tomb. I think we need to start living like he is the firstborn of a new creation. And that that's in the rearview mirror. And we are moving in a direction toward a world where all things are made new. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for making all things new. Thank you for, for starting with you. <laughs> the God of creation, one of us, God and man, that you, um, you, are, you are a new creation. You are in it. You are moving toward it. Would you help us to believe that? Show us what it looks like to, to live in light of that and challenge us to, to when, when when we sense, when you know that we are living like the grave still has a body in it, would you challenge us to, to, to change that, to be reinvigorated, to believe what you say, that there is a new creation coming, that you have made this promise? Would you help us to live as if your promises are true? It's in your name we pray. Amen.